Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive here and a proud member. And in the midst of this continued stay-at-home order, we are broadcasting and presenting our virtual forum from the studios of IdeaStream, our public media partner. In the last two weeks, we've conducted a few forums on the impact of the pandemic, how it's the impact it's having on public health, state policy, federal policy, and the economy. And today we're visiting with the Honorable Frank G. Jackson, Mayor of Cleveland, to discuss how the city is responding to the coronavirus crisis. As in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. You can text them to 330-541-5794. That number again is 330-541-5794. And if you're on Twitter, you can also tweet them at the City Club, and we'll work them into the program. As we begin, I want to thank sponsors and members who have stepped up to support our efforts to continue the conversation in the midst of this crisis. City Club virtual forums are sponsored by Key Bank, Nordson Corporation, and PNC, with additional support from Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, and St. Luke's Foundation, and many more generous members, sponsors, and donors who are listed on our website at cityclub.org slash thank you. Now, to our mayor, Frank G. Jackson. Mayor Jackson is in the third year of his historic fourth term. Earlier today, he held a press conference, which many may have watched online, and we'll get to the news out of that in a moment. And yesterday, the city announced the extension of the civil emergency order to April 30th. There are currently 148 cases of COVID-19 inside the city, and there have been two deaths as well of Clevelanders. Mayor Jackson, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. We're glad to have you back at the City Club, even under these difficult circumstances. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, as we start, Mayor, I'd like to just recognize the frontline workers uh, who who work with you and, and under you at City Hall and, and across the city, especially in the health department, who have been working so hard to keep us all safe. Well, uh, uh, we have um, good employees at the city of Cleveland, and a lot of people look at public employees uh, in, in a different light until crisis happens, and then they see the value and, and um, expertise that they really display. Public service is an honorable profession, but uh, it's not made for everyone. But those who are choose to do it, uh, and they do it well, have a great opportunity to impact the lives of individuals, families, and communities. And is, uh, in this um, particular case, it is the health department, as you mentioned, but we have our frontline people, whether in public safety, waste collection, utilities, all these people are out there still working uh, every day. It's really true, uh, Mr. Mayor, about the, the value that you really recognize the value of government in a time of crisis like this. There is there's no private sector entity that can step in and do what, what you and others at City Hall and what the county government and the state government and the federal government are doing. Well, it, it takes um, it takes leadership, and we all have to play our role. And part of leadership is knowing um, uh, when is your turn and when is not. 
and there are times when we uh, should follow the lead of others, and then there's other times we have to get out front, and uh, particularly with the public in, in regards to this, we have to take that, be that public face in terms of not only uh, letting people know what we're doing, but really uh, taking action and executing and implementing, not just having the idea of policy, but to have the actual performance of that policy executed is very key in the time of crisis. Mr. Mayor, this morning at your press conference, um, you uh, stood not alongside. Of course, there were uh, all of you were very, um, very responsible in keeping your social distance um, and taking turns on the stage. Um, but there were representatives from um, university hospitals, I believe, in the, or the Cleveland Clinic, talking about how our regional hospitals and area hospitals are preparing for a surge that many see as inevitable. Can you talk about what's being done there? And, and now we, we know a little bit more of what the plan is to increase capacity. Well, as you mentioned, leading up to what you just asked, as you mentioned, uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, less than a month ago, uh, we announced our first case in Cleveland, and now we're at 148, and with two deaths. If you look at the state of Ohio, in uh, roughly the same period of time, a little bit longer, uh, they've gone from their first case to over 2,000 with over 80 deaths. So you can see this is a very infectious uh, uh, virus. And and in order to deal with this virus, there is the prevention side, and that is um, three basic rules, and that's stay at home except for essential and necessary travel, whether it's with uh, looking after someone or uh, having to go to a grocery store or something like that. Uh, wash your hands frequently, uh, and then if you do have to go out, maintain social distance. Now, that's on the prevention side, but even with the level of shutdown that has happened uh, socially and economically in the state of Ohio in general, in the country in general, but the state and the city in particular, uh, we still have this tremendous growth in infections. So the uh, healthcare people and infectious disease people are saying that, um, that the figures that we have or what we know but what we don't know is even larger than what than that. And so they're expecting what they call a surge to occur within uh, the month of April. And what Cleveland is doing and many other cities are doing in Ohio with, under the leadership of the governor is to create an infrastructure to handle that surge. And that is how do we create additional bed capacity to um, pull out of the main hospitals um, those people who can be at uh, in beds outside of the hospital to free up beds in the hospital for uh, intensive care and and uh, people who are, are are sick as a result of this virus and that's what we talked about today and what the hospital has been working with. Uh, in great collaboration and partnership with all of the networks, Metro Health, um, Cleveland Clinic, University Hospital, Sisters of Charity, all working collaboratively together, them working with the state 
through the National Guard and with the federal government through the Army Corps of Engineers to help build out their capacity and to be able to handle this surge when they uh, when it comes forward as they expected to do this month. Now, a couple other things in regards to that. Right now, according to the, uh, the medical people, uh, there's enough capacity. The surge hits, it will outstrip that capacity. The demand will outstrip the supply of, of, of beds and the ability to, uh, to meet the, uh, the demand. Uh, this surge in the building out to handle that extra demand is what's occurring now. And they believe that they will be able to handle it uh, based on, on, on what they're projecting now. Their problem is, is the same problem is facing the entire nation, and that is, how do they have the testing equipment, uh, material, the protective equipment, and the treatment, uh, respirators and equipment? And, and that is one major issue that they still have because potentially um, a surge would outstrip that, the availability of that. And then there's also the staffing level. Right now, the healthcare people say they have enough staff to accommodate today and what they project uh, in terms of additional beds that they'll be creating. But if people are getting sick inside their operation and if the surge is greater than uh, projected, then that will become a problem also. Now, that goes back to the beginning. Uh, the more we are behaving in a way that addresses the basic rules of stay at home, uh, wash your hands frequently, and create social distance, the more we're able to do that, then the more likely it is that we will slow up the infections, which will mean the surge will be uh, not as large and the duration of it will not be as long. If you're just joining us, uh, we're speaking. This is the City Club Forum, our Friday forum presented uh, at this moment uh, in the stay-at-home moment uh, from the studios of IdeaStream. Mayor, Cleveland Mayor Frank G. Jackson is our guest today. And if you have a question for him, you can text it to 330-541-5794. Or if you're on Twitter, you can tweet it at the City Club, and we'll work it into the program as we move along. Mayor Jackson, the... Um, w- there has been a lot of talk about how the hospitals will prepare and where excess capacity might be found in the event of the the somewhat inevitable increase in cases. And uh, people had talked about the convention center. They talked about using nearby universities and dorm rooms that are now empty because of the because students are at home. What's the plan? Well, uh, from what uh, the doctors are saying and the hospitals are saying, they're doing uh, what they call um, in place. Uh, increase in capacity. So each hospital uh, uh, is doing in-place increase in capacity. Example, the Cleveland Clinic and UH uh, are working on a 1,000 beds at their new medical hospital, the new medical school on, on Euclid. And so uh, in uh, University Hospital is working, I think, with Case Western Reserve, um, potentially the use of space up with uh, up there. Uh, Metro Health is doing so. They're increasing capacity in place. Uh, and I know that the convention center and the ag center 
were mentioned, and um, and um, but there was uh, a decision made by the hospitals that they can more effectively and more efficiently and quickly uh, get up to speed and increase beds uh, by two and a half to three times uh, what they are currently able to do by doing it with this method. And it also helps them to have proximity to their home base, which would mean their their hospitals, to uh, to have quick interactions with uh, uh, with as the need arises. So the capacity can be brought online quicker. The service is more efficient by doing it the way that they plan on doing it. That sounds like extraordinarily good news, Mr. Mayor. Um, did they were they able to provide an update on the number of ventilators available for and um, and ICU beds? Well, they they will increase the number of ICU beds by this because they will move patients uh, out of there and they will have the ability to increase the number of ICU beds by. Uh, uh, building out internally within the hospital. Um, They did not say exactly what that would be uh, simply because um, they are uh, restricted as to those capacities or that capacity by the availability of the equipment, just like uh, with the testing and just like with protective gear, uh, the ventilators are the same thing. There's a limited supply. And, um, and that limited supply has, uh, is dictating uh, a lot of the level of capacity that the hospitals can go up to. But as of now, they're saying that what they're currently doing in their projected capacity increase, they will have whatever they need in order to accommodate that. Mr. Mayor, we've seen in the national news um, and in the statewide news a lot of elected officials trying to leverage their platforms and their own offices to advocate on behalf of public health and healthcare workers. Um, is there? Can you talk a little bit about the conversations you've been having at the, at the state and national levels and with other mayors to make sure that healthcare workers locally and public health workers well, locally there's, have there's, what they um, need? Locally, there's, <clears throat> we're having conversations. There are hotels, as you know, they're empty. And so there is conversation that with hotels about um, uh, providing rooms at a substantially reduced rate uh, that would allow for frontline people, uh, whether first responders or healthcare workers, to be able to utilize uh, those hotel rooms uh, rather than going home, either because they um, don't want to take the risk of if they are infected to go home or if they those kinds of things or is more convenient for them based on uh, how they have to work. And, and as the, this gets more intense and, and, the, and perhaps the workforce decreases and, and the need for them to be on duty longer, uh, it would be helpful if they're in proximity to whatever the jobs are. So those things are in discussion. There are, um, I guess, states, that have already instituted that. Uh, I believe Governor DeWine has talked about it extensively, and and I know that we're in conversation with our hotels on the same subject matter. And if I can switch gear a little bit, not Please. just with the health care workers and our frontline first responders, 
but the same conversation is happening with our homeless population and how do we uh, uh, eliminate the congestion and density at the homeless shelters. And one of the ways that that is being, is being addressed is through housing people at hotels where they could have the social distancing. And Metro Health is, is looking to do mass testing to see uh, about symptoms and whether or not someone in the homeless community has uh, uh, the virus or not. So, so all this is happening at all multiple different levels. Mayor Jackson, I'm glad that you brought up the our city's most vulnerable populations. The the issue of what is being done for the homeless in this time of crisis has come up repeatedly in just about every conversation that we've hosted on the top on you know since this COVID crisis began. Um, I know the city works very closely with the county to yeah. ensure that those services are delivered. Do you feel that uh, that you're making that the that the partnership is making progress and sufficient well, progress. What I do know is the partnership is sincere in their uh, uh, very focused effort to minimize the impact of this on that population, and I know that uh, there's great collaboration, and the county uh, office of homeless services is taking good leadership in regards to this, and we are following their leadership as we. Uh, a part of the communication with them uh, on strategies and policy. As you know, the county is the lead uh, uh, lead uh, entity on the homeless issue, and we provide resources to them, uh, but we're working with them. Example, I know uh, not only is there this uh, housing people in hotels, uh, there's the, and the testing that will be done by Metro Health, uh, there's the hand sanitizers at uh, where we know there are, are encampments of of homeless people, and how do we? And so we're locating where they are, working with the county on that, and and then getting the hand sanitizer there in the in the in the right volume, and I guess dispensing dispensary so that it can be used by them, and then the educational the information to them. And, and but as you know, the homeless population is not just this monolithic population people think is homeless, right? Well, there's so many different faces to homelessness. Indeed, going from just somebody falling through the crack because they they lost their job and, and got evicted to uh, someone uh, bouncing around from house to house to uh, someone who has a uh, has a chronic uh, mental health issue or some addiction issue or dual or quadruple diagnosis. So there's multiple facets of this. And the county uh, office of homeless services has done a great job in in identifying each of those populations, finding out how can they uh, deal with each one of them. Because some of them, uh, some of that population is not receptive to information no matter how, how you deliver it. So you're going to have to take a different approach to them, whereas another uh, portion of, of the homeless population is uh, can absorb it and, and act on information as you give them. Mr. Mayor, what are you most worried about right now? Uh, 
I don't know if it's worried. I, I would. Uh, I, uh, I I tend to worry about stuff after the fact uh, <laughs> because I'm in the mode of dealing with it. Right. And and if I worried about it or or or, or had some hesitancy in regards to something or some fear, then we'll lose. Well, I, it's it's not so much about that. I what I the it's I'm really asking kind of where it seems as though the city and the county and the state have made a lot of progress Correct. in terms of flattening the curve and um, and and fighting this back. However, there are places where um, where maybe the the message hasn't been received or areas where now that you've gotten through this part, you really need to get to the mm-hmm. next part. So right. what's what's on your mind? What are the pri- what are the the next biggest priorities? Well, the, the, I, I I will say to you and to whoever's listening that it is about the three basics right. rules it is stay at home stay at home don't congregate uh, it's keep social distance are you concerned that enough people aren't hearing that message uh i'm not concerned that they're not hearing it uh you know people after a while get kind of antsy because we're social beings so they figure out a way to congregate and so we have to address that and and the governor was very specific in terms of businesses that he is saying you cannot operate. And then there were other businesses that he said, well, if you're essential or non-essential, and then there's some gray area. And that's why he's formed this uh, review panel to kind of handle disputes in regards to what's essential or not, or differences from one county to another to get some consistency throughout the state. But, but um, we are going, we have to, a uh, uh, couple of things. There are some businesses or some oper- some things where there's social gathering where people just gravitate back to it. And once we find that out, we go to that location, whether it's a health department um, responsibility or public safety responsibility, and we let them know you can't do this. I think and, uh, churches and, would be probably yeah, a pretty good example of that. A pretty good example. Now, I know that there are some uh, states that have exempted churches. I don't know if that's a good idea, uh, but uh, I don't believe the state of Ohio has. Um, And we are saying to uh, churches, if they ask us, that you should, if you're going to have services, you should create social distance and and minimize the number of people who come to uh, the time of worship. There are some churches who have completely uh, gone to online uh, services and things like that. I just got a, someone gave me an information this morning and sent me something, a text showing a funeral, and the funeral was sparsely attended. They showed me a picture, sparsely attended, and several of the people at the funeral had on masks, and no one was sitting next to each other. So I'm, I'm saying that it is getting out. People are listening, but we are social creatures. I would imagine you're probably also seeing reports and hearing reports of churches that and funerals with large gatherings where people yeah. aren't keeping their distance. And well, yes. What are and you doing when, in those cases? Well, if it usually those things resolve themselves because by the time you get notified of it and and you have a chance to respond to it, it the gathering is over with. Uh, uh, but if, in fact, it is not, then um, we do um, take those measures of letting them know that it should not happen. And, and I don't I don't believe no one is 
said to me that we've had anyone once told that what they're doing is inappropriate didn't respond in the right way. Mr. Mayor, uh, as a, a city where the schools are under mayoral control, mm-hmm. you have an extraordinary responsibility for the tens of thousands of students and families who rely on the schools in the Cleveland Metro School District. I wanted to give you a chance to speak directly to them about how, about this crisis and also uh, to give your assessment of how the schools have responded so far. Well, uh, I'll know how they responded, whether it's effective or not. We'll figure that out as, as time goes on, whether it's effective, uh, because, you know, we can have all the right policies in place and and say the right thing but you know are are we executing and implementing in the way that we're having the impact or the outcome that we want uh we don't know that yet and 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 when you have uh, 40,000 students and even if you create a process for learning and and that uh and you're requiring certain things I don't know how many people are complying with whatever it is that the school system has set in place. I know with my grandkids, the younger ones, uh, they are receiving homework from uh, the school, and 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 then is up to the parent then to uh, make sure that they do that work, hand it in, and all that of that. But that's uh, uh, completely different than a structured environment uh, that has to occur. The other thing that you may have is you may have uh, employees that um, have children that are, uh, and those employees are essential employees, so they're still at work or they're working doing something, and but their children are at home. And so how do you, how do you ensure that... Uh, uh, that um, whatever is set in place for them to get their um, get their um, uh, education is actually happening. So we'll measure that in, in a little bit. I would and imagine that, that some of your employees in City Hall are in that very situation. Oh yeah, well, uh, it's City Hall, City Hall is closed down. Uh, it pretty much is only open on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and that's just for essential employees. Uh, and um, so City Hall, and 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 it's and even on Tuesday and Thursday is not open to the public. Is open only to uh, essential employees who have to do some things. Uh, but it's more of a problem with essential employees that are in the public safety realm, or in the health department, or or in public works, uh, waste collection. Uh, utilities, people who actually are still going to work every day. They put in in their hours. They put in in hours. They're not working from home because you can't pick up trash from home. You can't, you know, repair water lines from home. You, you see, so they, those are the ones who, who are, are, are the most affected if they have children and the monitoring of children during that time. We're talking with Mayor Jackson at the City Club Friday Forum today. If you have a question, you can text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. I'm Dan Maltrip with the City Club. And um, as we get into those questions, Mr. Mayor, I just wanted to ask you kind of a long-term question about the future of revenues that support the city's budget. This is an extraordinary time. This economic contraction is likely to be felt for years to come. you were just in office uh, when, uh, when you faced in your first term the economic contraction of 2008, mm-hmm. and um, 
you manage that very well, as many will recall. Um, what are you doing right now to prepare for something similar? Well, uh, my belief is that you prepare for hard times and good times, and you prepare for good times and hard times. So uh, it, during my um, uh, uh, submittal of the general fund budget, uh, budget to city council, I made mention to them that we were anticipating a recession, and so that this budget that we presented to them uh, had uh, was structurally balanced with uh, some reserves, and that those reserves were uh, put in place so that we could weather uh, the storm during the recession, the downturn of the economy. Now, of course. Uh, um, didn't know this was going to happen, and it was going to happen this way or happen so quickly and at this magnitude. But we were preparing um, for a recession because we knew one was, was coming. Now, that being said, uh, the impact of the uh, basic shutdown or the lockdown of the general economy has had significant impact on uh, local government revenue because Ohio – uh, revenues uh, for local government is primarily based on income tax, and uh, whether it's through corporate property or, or or payroll taxes. And when people are laid off or companies are closed down and profits go down, that has a significant impact. And then um, that has an uh, impact on um, uh, on um, revenues associated with. Uh, restaurants or parking or all those other kind of revenue sources that come from uh, into the city of Cleveland. So we're going to feel it. We're going to feel it. And we don't know exactly what that is right now, simply because we're when we do uh, look at um, income tax coming in, it's usually a month behind. So we will know sometime in March, probably mid-March, late March, as to the true impact that impacted us for March. And and, and from that, we will make adjustments uh, based on that and project out that impact to see what we will have to do in order to balance our budget and keep it balanced by law. Having the reserve will give us some flexibility to continue some services that we would normally have to eliminate or substantially reduced if we did not have the reserve. Let's bring in some questions from our audience. Rebecca sent us a tweet earlier. We are seeing strong leadership from Governor DeWine and his team, but I'm wondering what examples the mayor is noticing from other cities. What's something he's seen from another Ohio city, either that they've done or through their council or the mayor's office, that he'd like to emulate here? Well, uh, what I'm almost daily, well, daily, I talk to, uh, we're on a call with the governor, uh, not only myself, but other mayors. And so it's a daily conversation. And um, mayors throughout the state of Ohio, particularly mayors of urban centers, are, uh, are on top of this. And we share with each other the things that we are doing. And 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 with that, uh, we pick up ideals from other mayors, and they pick up ideals from from uh, the city of Cleveland, and then we share our concerns with the governor, and then he then incorporates our concerns into his policy 
making and decision making and his announcements at his press conference. So what you're seeing is not uh, uh, something that is based on politics anymore. It's based on uh, the need to work together, collaborate, and to show leadership and direction during a crisis, which has stripped us all of political po- uh, uh, politics or or geographical areas. We all have the same concerns, and, and we're all working together and sharing ideals with each other. Mr. Mayor, another question coming back to the schools here, because education is online during the pandemic. Do you believe the city has a digital divide, and, and what is the city doing to overcome that during the pandemic? Well, again, we there's always a digital divide, but I believe that um, access to that uh, can be overcome if we can identify who is in need of something and unable to get it as opposed to someone that even if they had it, they wouldn't use it. And that is what we're going to be looking at with the school system, see what are they seeing as a result of their online educational attempts. Are, are uh, people responding? Are parents uh, uh, helping their kids do what they have to do. Is there a need for certain technology in order for us to um, be able to help people uh, be able to get the education that they need? So if there's a family listening right now that isn't able to access the online educational offerings from their they child's should, school, what should they do? Well, they should let us know. And, and now um, they can. Uh, our mayor's action line takes calls all the time, uh, even though they're not here. They work from home some uh, some days a week. On Tuesday and Wednesdays, they are here. And what they miss during the week, they uh, they respond to when they get here. I'm pretty sure that uh, the school system has a, a access line that they can call in on also. But the mayor's action line is six six four. I think is. 2900 664-2900. That's 216-664-2900 is the mayor's action line. And what that does is uh, they handle not only complaints, but they also handle um, the feedback from people. So they they keep account of what is on people's minds and where they have concerns or where they have issues and uh and once we get that and we're able to see that there's a a trend going in a certain way or a specific thing that pops up then we either deal with the entity that's responsible other than the city or we handle it ourselves mr mayor there's a few questions about the um small business the environment for small businesses and the yeah. challenges that small businesses are facing both for-profit businesses and not-for-profits mm-hmm. uh, what sort of outreach is the city and the economic development department doing to ensure small businesses are aware of the available 350 billion dollars in stimulus resources through the small business administration the economic injury disaster loan program mm-hmm. and the paycheck protection program well we're we're putting a, a list together to do exactly what you're saying how do we outreach but you have organization where there's uh, formerly called wirenet you have cozy uh the county has this um uh what is it i forget the name of the of the entity that they established for small business center 
where there is like uh, uh, clearing the house for information and, and direction. Uh, and what we've done is that uh, city council passed a couple of weeks ago at their last council meeting uh, of legislation that allows us to forego um, loans that we have made to businesses for a six-month period, meaning that they don't have to, I think they don't have to start um, repaying interest or principal until January of next year. And that, um, and we've also set up uh, a million-dollar account for $10,000 per business that qualifies where we will help them to reimburse them on expenses that they've incurred during the month month of March to help tie them over into this stimulus stimulus dollars come through and there's an infrastructure where they can access that. Is so that ten thousand dollars a grant or a loan? Well, it that ten thousand dollars is is a loan. Mm. Again, not payable until sometime uh, next year. The first one we did were loans that we've already created that were whatever they were that will allow people uh, six months of grace there. This is would be a loan not payable to sometime beginning next year, and I think $150 a month until you pay it off. Continuing with questions about small businesses, uh, this listener asks, what will you do to help tenants at the West Side Market? Rent is due, and many of us don't have the funds to pay it. Lifting the parking gates would help stop discouraging customers. A bottle of hand sanitizer for each stand would be appreciated. I don't feel this is a lot to ask. Help us. This apparently well, from a listener who is a tenant at the West Side Market. Well, well, there's a lot that we're doing for the West Side Market, not only in terms of capital investment, and we have an RFP out, and a consultant will be brought on board to talk about tenant mix and, and how to market the market better and how to create uh, a way of communication, not only from the tenants who are the vendors, but also from the public who may have concerned about vendors. And so we're doing that. We've created this, um, uh, and we work with the tenant organization uh, to look at how can their customers call in and have curbside pickup which has worked pretty well. And, and, and in terms of lifting the uh, parking and, and people not having to pay for parking, if someone is, a, uh, can, is validated that they are uh, a customer of the market, then they have free parking, I think, for 90 minutes. So that, that is addressed. Uh, we are allowing the West Side Market to stay open uh, and because they've asked for this, we are, uh, some vendors are showing up, some are not. We are helping them by working with the tenant organization on this uh, pickup where people can order stuff and pick it up. They don't have to come into the market. And uh, there has been a request come in for uh, a reduction or, or forgiveness of rent for the month of March or maybe April. That is currently under review as we look at uh, as we look at the market going forward as to how it will function, because um, there are still social condition social distancing issues that we have to address at the market, and and if in fact we're just letting people in and you have the kind of 
congestion that is there that's not social distancing. So we, we're reviewing whether or not uh, right now we're allowing it to continue to function as long as it, it can function with some social distancing and, and, and having people order and picking up outside uh, is helping uh, a great degree there. Mr. Mayor, there's a few questions uh, regarding public employees who um, who are, work for the fire department or the police department or, um, or work at City Hall. Um, one question has to do with uh, how how are you handling city employees who want to work from home full time versus only the two days or don't feel comfortable coming into the bill into buildings on those two days when the buildings are open? Well, again, if uh, we are let's take the uh, safety first. Uh, I know the, the police department has thermometers, so every day they check officers coming in as to whether or not they have a fever or they're dim- or they're displaying symptoms, and then they act appropriately according to that. Uh, EMS, uh, uh, fire, and um, um, police are essential employees. They can't operate from home, and so, but they have all of the protective gear uh, on in their vehicles that they need in order to do their job and and do it uh, uh, safely. Uh, the 911 calls come in. Are, are being screened to see if, in fact, um, someone is likely to be someone with a symptom. And that's a different response than it would be if it were just a straight 911 call. And, and now, in terms of people coming into City Hall, um, they have essential employees. And those employees will come to City Hall and work at City Hall or work at their job uh, if they can work at their job from home, then that will be up to the Human Resources Office and the department and the division that they're working for as to whether or not their essential duty can be done at home or cannot be done at home. Uh, that's a determination that will be made there. If they come in the city hall, uh, we tell people, if you have symptoms, don't come. Don't come to work. If you do have symptoms, stay at home, quarantine yourself, uh, stay at home. So we, we're, we have created a process that I believe has allowed us to keep our employees safe as well as deliver essential services and to keep the city open and running so that people can uh, at least uh, have the basics of, of city services of public safety, waste collection, utilities, all those other things are essential for just people to have a a normal daily life. And there are essential employees that have to make that happen. And the same... The same is true, sir, for uh, for those who are in the rank among the ranks of the first responders. If they are feeling symptomatic, or uh, then they should. They, they, there is a, there's a policy that uh, in public safety they are essential and critical employees, as set by I think CDC rules, which means that there has to be some. Uh, they just can't say that they're sick. If my understanding of it is correct that they have to, there has to be a verification of that. And then there's, if and with our hospitals, if there are symptoms, then they go to the front of the line in terms of getting tested to see if they have the, envir- the virus or not. If they don't have the virus, then uh, then 
their expectation is that they will perform their job. Uh, now they've created conditions in, uh, uh, like with the police, there everybody's in a one-man car now. There's no two people to a car, so there's social distancing. They, you have uh, EMS; they wear masks uh, when they're when they're at work and operating, doing what they do on the ambulances, things like that. Uh, fire has a protective equipment, and since they have to go out as a crew and they live together. The expectation is that they will practice all of the social distancing they need to practice as well as uh, cleaning of equipment and washing hands on a frequent basis. If you have a question for Mayor Frank Jackson as part of this Friday forum from the City Club of Cleveland, you can text that question to 330-541-5794. That number again to text your question is 330-541-5794. Mr. Mayor, another question from our audience. Is it true that the police are ticketing people for walking downtown even if they are not congregating? I have not heard that people are being ticketed by the police for walking downtown. I have not heard that. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, that's a policy decision that would be uh, funneled through the um, executive policy group under the mayor's proclamation of a civil emergency. And what they would do is they would vet that, and then they would either say, no, you can't do that, or if there's a recommendation they believe is valid, then they would bring it to the mayor's office where we can make a decision on it. But we don't, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not we don't have a curfew. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we're not telling people if you're walking down the street, we're giving you a ticket for uh, curfew. Now, uh, so we don't, we don't have that. Mr. Mayor, some construction sites are still open, um, and uh, there's a question here about whether the city will open services on a larger scale uh, for some other departments, such as the building and the departments that handle permits for building and construction, which would put people to work or keep people working. And um, the you know the listeners suggest that this would still be safe as work would be out of doors in the mo- for the most part. Well, we've we've already anticipated that and, and, and believe that we have addressed that. Uh, one of the reasons for City Hall to be open on Tuesdays and Wednesday is so that people can come to City Hall, even though they can't access it and come in. If they have a building that house and uh, 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 need a permit or file some kind of document, what can happen is they come in at the security. Then um, the security calls building and housing. Someone comes down, pick up whatever it is that they have, and then process that. If it can be processed and they can work, wait, then they'll process it and wait and give the person whatever they need to to, um, to do whatever they have to do. If it's something that would take a while, then they'll let them know uh, how to do that. They also inform people that you can do certain things online, and that is why People are saying, "Well, why do? How can? Why won't? Why do I have to come to City Hall on Tuesday and Thursday? I can do my work at home." Well, maybe you can't if you have to uh, uh, ensure that business in this regard continues by issuing permits, reviewing documents, and things like that. Those are essential employees. They may not be first responders or or, or frontline people like waste collection and utilities working out in the street or, re, or or reconnecting water and electricity. 
but they're essential employees for us to continue the basic work of the city of Cleveland. And one of those things is reviewing permits and documents and things like that. So they can't do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. They just can't come in, but they can leave their uh, what they need at the desk. Someone to come down and pick it up and, and process it. Mr. Mayor, there's a pair of questions here regarding housing issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, will Cleveland go forward with an eviction moratorium? It's been mentioned, but is there a timetable? Uh, it uh, is my understanding. Now, that's something that um, is handled through the housing court. Mm-hmm. As my understanding, and talking to the council president, uh, as you know, he was the initiator of this fund that went to United Way to help people uh, in eviction cases. And so uh, we have contacted the housing court uh, city council has, the council president, to ask them to um, uh, not have evictions. It's my understanding that the housing court has agreed on that and has really put a moratorium on evictions at this time. Now, uh, uh, at, at the same time, it does not say to people that they don't have to pay their rent. It just means that if, for whatever reason, because of the virus, you wind up out of work and you can't pay your rent. This is another tool to help you stay in place until you can catch up. But if people are working, uh, they should pay their work, their their rent. It's just like when we have put a moratorium on stopping the cutoff of water and electricity uh, for clean public power and our water division. Well, our expectation is people will still pay the, their bills if they're able to pay their bills. But if, in fact, as a result of the virus, they become unemployed and they can't, then we will not be cutting off their water or electricity with clean public power. And we will restore cutoffs if requested by the uh, homeowner or the property owner. If tenants are not able to pay their rent, uh, then there's a ripple effect that landlords then uh, bear the brunt of. Yes. What is being done for them? Well, that becomes the problem of small businesses. And if you're a business and landlord uh, is a, a business, they own property, their business is renting out uh, uh, apartments to people, that becomes part of accessing small business uh, through the stimulus uh, package and and perhaps qualify for the gap money that we could help them with in order to um, uh, hold them over until this money from the federal government comes through and there's an infrastructure set up for it. Now, what I've been advised as I've talked to people about the stimulus package on the SBA loans at, at, um, at uh, uh, banks is that what they what businesses should do small business should do is to put in their application for the loan and then banks will uh front the money so to speak or put the money loan them the money and if the business keeps a certain percentage of their employees in place then the guarantee is from the federal government of that loan 
and the federal government then, through their stimulus package, if I'm understanding it correctly, will then pay off that loan because they guarantee it. That's that's my understanding as well. Right. The concern I think many would have, particularly in the real estate industry and the kind of small smaller landlords who might only have one or two or three units that they're renting, is that they may not be structured as a corporation with employees and payroll. Mm-hmm. That rather they're just this is a something they do uh, on the side, perhaps, or they do as their primary mode of, of income. But it's not structured in that in that same way that a small business, right. an, ofi- an official small business or corporation in the state of Ohio might be structured. Do you anticipate being able to offer some relief or assistance to that? That, that I'd have to check in. I, I'm not. I, I could not give you a definite answer. I would think that if they are uh, doing it properly, they are reporting it as income to the IRS, which would put them in some type of status. Uh, the question is whether or not that status qualifies for a small business loan. I, that I do not know, but my economic development people would be able to uh, determine that. So and if a, there is a landlord of, that fits that description that you speak of, we would gladly give them uh, some advice or, or provide them some assistance as, as to what direction to go in to find the answer that they need. And they can call your hotline. That's 216-664-2900. Yes, this mayor's excellent, right? Um, Mr. Mayor, this is a, a question that's come in and one that was on my mind as well and probably perhaps the question that we might end on here. But how are you personally doing right now? How's your family? Well, I, I keep social distance. I, I really do. I, me and my wife and, and at home and uh, uh, our grandkids uh, come and go periodically but they're they're kind of hunkered down to not really traveling around not doing much so uh, so we're we're doing fine uh, uh, thanks for asking but I will say to you that there's no one immune and that uh, and I know that um, that out of these cases that will happen in this surge that uh, most people will probably recover if, in fact, the hospital have the essential equipment that they need to assist them. And I know that uh, people who do not have underlying illnesses uh, that are chronic uh, will have a better chance of surviving than those who do have underlying chronic illness. And I know that... um, uh, that the ones who fit that category of being most at risk are older people. But I don't want young people to believe that, that for some reason they can just weather this storm because uh, it, it's a very contagious virus. And I don't know if they fully recognize that if you in some way recover from it or, or move through it, that you're still uh, uh, you can still infect other people. Yeah, yeah. So, so it comes back to have, back to those three rules. You do have grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. That's so right. So back to those three rules, rules, right? Stay you at home, wash your hands, and keep your distance. Mayor Frank G. Jackson is in his fourth term as mayor of the city of Cleveland. Mayor Jackson, we're just so grateful to you for your leadership and for joining us for our City Club Friday Forum today. 
And I thank the public for their cooperation and for their understanding of the need to do whatever it is that we have to do to get past this. I want to thank you very much, sir. And I want to thank all of you for joining us as well. City Club Virtual Forums are sponsored by KeyBank, Nordson, and PNC with additional support from Bank of America, Cleveland Foundation, and the St. Luke's Foundation, along with many more generous members, sponsors, and donors who you can find on our website at cityclub.org slash thank you. In addition, the Center for Community Solutions reallocated their annual sponsorship to support our virtual forums. They hope their contributions will inspire others to join them in their commitment to the City Club. We thank them for their generosity. If you would like to join them, you can find out more information at cityclub.org or by calling 216-350-5575. We're going to continue to present forums throughout this time. Just find out more at cityclub.org. You can also reach out to us there. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong, stay healthy, and stay close in your hearts if you can't stay close in person. Our forum is adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on Ideastream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.